Welcome to From Earning to Learning, the podcast where we talk about all things education. I'm your host, Dave Franjosen. All right, welcome to another episode of From Earning to Learning. All the way from Iowa, I have with me tonight Dr. Chad Lang, Director of School Improvement and host of the podcast, Learning with Interesting People. Welcome. Hey, thanks a lot, Dave. I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your educational journey? Sure. I'd be happy to. I grew up in Northwest Iowa to blue collar family. Uh, I was a first college graduate uh, from my family and I went to University of Northern Iowa, which is well known in the Midwest for uh, educator prep. And uh, at that time, they had a very uh, robust overseas and international student teaching program. And um, by the time I became a senior, that was just sort of on my bucket list. You know, I had never traveled um, outside of Iowa, frankly, by the time I was 22, 23 years old. So um, that was on my bucket list. And I come to find out that, you know, you have to fund the whole thing. And so I was a little bit disheartened. <clears throat> so I tried to look at an alternative path. And um, I actually was able, to, I did get accepted in the program and was going to go to Lake and Heath Air Force Base in England. He said, I want to go to some place where they, where you obviously were going to go to American school, but I didn't know any other foreign language. So they speak English in England, of course. And um, I believe that that was right in the middle of the Iraqi war. So they shut down all student teacher placements. And uh, long story short, I, they said, well, you can go somewhere else if you have an idea. Um, and uh, long story, but I was like, where else do they speak English that would be easy to get to. And I did a book report in seventh grade on the U S Virgin islands. And I asked them and uh, they actually ended up making a placement for me in St. Croix, U S Virgin islands. I student taught there. So that was really the start to my professional journey was student teaching and uh, St. Croix Virgin islands. And then get hit by a hurricane gene in my last week there. So um, pretty crazy for a, a think about a Midwestern uh, Iowa kid who had never been outside the state of Iowa to, start their career that way. It was fantastic. I offered a position like the day that before I left and I thought, you know, I probably better get back onto some common ground of tornadoes and blizzards. <laughs> and, uh, so I came back and, and, uh, and I was able to get a position in Dubuque, Iowa, which is on the Mississippi river and absolutely loved it taught high school social studies, did that for two years. And I got married to my wife and we were looking for a place to be a, a district where we could teach together. And we actually landed in Kirksville, Missouri kind of on the eastern side of the state, a couple of hours west of St. Louis. And, and we were there for one year. And then I got the head basketball coaching job in Excelsior Springs, Missouri, which is outside of Kansas City, kind of a suburb bedroom community there. And uh, did that for five years. And just that's where I got introduced to standards-based grading. In 20, 2010, I was a pilot teacher at the high school. And so that was just a fantastic experience and finished my master's degree in administration. And end up getting a director of athletics position just at a neighboring school district. I did that for six years. And I was also the assistant middle school principal at the time, same at the same time, smaller school district and loved it and did that for six years. And, and during that time, I was able to get into the University of Missouri's uh, doctoral program for educational leadership and policy analysis. And basically what they do is they allow in a hundred people every two years and you go through it as a regional cohort. So five different places throughout Missouri and and then, uh, and then each summer you have a residency at the University of Missouri with these people. And that changed my life. Um, I had the opportunity to you know, grow with uh, educators, obviously PK-12 educators, higher ed, clergy, nonprofit. Um, it was not a superintendency type doctoral program. And it was just great. And uh, 
just kind of had a wonderful spring of 2018. As a matter of fact, the May of 2018 was just phenomenal. I, uh, my kids were doing great in school. I have twins uh, who are now in third grade, but um, I, I was about to defend my dissertation and graduate in May. And then I'm just completely surprised and shocked that I was, was honored as a state of Missouri athletic director of the year. And last week of April, and I think three weeks later in May, I walked across the stage at the University of Missouri, um, you know, with my third degree and, you know, from a kid just from blue collar uh, upbringing, it was just really a bucket list and pride moment in my life and allowed me to kind of get into school administration at a more of a programmatic level and uh, was able to land the director of school improvement position here and back in Iowa and be a lot closer to family. And I've absolutely loved it. Um, it's been a good call. And so I've had kind of a weird circular journey. Um, all teachers and administrators have quite a journey sometimes, but I've been, I am definitely a product of those people I've been surrounded with, just been blessed by being around super great human beings. Um, and so just trying to couple a little bit of everything I've learned from all of them and, and put it forward for the betterment of kids. Awesome. Yeah. It sounds like you've definitely had a ton of experience. So, um, was any of that, the, I guess, inspiration for your podcast, learning with interesting people? Actually. Um, yes. Uh, all along the way, I've always stored, uh, stored these quotes or sayings or learnings in my mind. And of course I forget who I can attribute them to later after the fact, but really the pandemic was kind of the, at the buttress of why I started a podcast, I was absolutely sick and tired of hearing negativity online and, you know, fake news and all that kind of stuff. And I just was like talking to my wife and saying, you know, how could I put something out positive out there? Like where every single bit of it's positive and fun. And, you know, I have a passion for learning uh, my own self. And, and I think that's indicative of my career. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've said to myself a ton of times is like, this person is so cool. Um, there's just something so unique about them. I can't pin down what it is. I wish so many other people knew them. And back to your point, you know, at all those stops, I guess, or along my journey, which kind of ends up being 16 years, those people are never going to that social network. Like <laughs> they don't cross over. So it's like, well, this really neat guy that I met, I wish someone else could meet him. And so then sort of the genesis was, is like, I should start a podcast where I talk to interesting people about how they learn and how we can learn from them um, about any broad topic. So a lot of it focuses on education, of course, and uh, their career and vocation. But we kind of get into um, just good general practice around learning and just try to have fun with it and be positive. It's totally a hobby for me. I, I definitely don't need to do it for my job or anything. And probably it's just one more of those things that I do that um, overloads my plate. But it actually is therapeutic for me. And uh, I'm not very good at the technical side of it at all, but um, I sure enjoy the conversations. And with some of the people, it's just a good reason to connect with them and hit record while I do it. So, and the fact that, you know, it gets shared with other people who, you know, may or may not ever, ever, ever meet or hear of these people um, is really neat for me. And uh, just to connect with them, I think we all could do the podcast in our own lives, actually. And it'd be really fun. And so the irony is, is that, you know, the social network on social media is vast and expansive, but we don't actually know these people. I mean, we just know a little avatar about them and, you know, you have to fill in between the tweets. And um, I think the podcast will let you have a little bit more intimate you know, conversation and get to know someone. So that's why I do it. 
Awesome. Yeah, and you've had some great episodes. I, I really love the podcast. So uh, anybody who hasn't checked it out yet, check out Learning with Interesting People. Um, now, you bring up um, wanting to be positive. And in episode seven, you talk to Susan Enfield, mm-hmm. right? And, right. you know, the things that she was saying kind of resonated with me because I've shifted my perspective to a strengths perspective and everything that she was talking about when I was listening to her is like, yeah, I, you know, I, I agree a hundred percent. And there like, and there was something that I found in each episode that resonated with me, but you know, that, that positive, and it's not toxic positivity. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, this is what people bring to the table and, you know, this is how we can enhance that. And, you know, that, that strengths perspective, as opposed to that deficit thinking, um, you know, it's definitely something that's very powerful. And actually she kind of reiterated something that uh, Des Moines Adams said in episode two, and just about like the, the pace of learners. And um, I want, I want to get the exact quote. I didn't, see uh oh they saw something in me that i didn't see in myself right right and like you know that's powerful and like sometimes as teachers you know when we actually see that strength in them um you know it's it's profound for them because nobody else has Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right um and so then that brings me to another one. There seems to be a common theme throughout your episodes. So episode right. five, episode five, when you're talking to Matt Townsley, um, right. Def- deficit thinking doesn't motivate, right? Yeah. You know, th- that was like one of the themes of, of that episode. And so when you put all of this together, uh, I know you're a, a big proponent and we agree. Um, and I, this is the first time we're having a conversation, but from everything, from everything that you put out there, I think we agree on where education needs to go. And then I, I know you're a big proponent of alternate assessment standards, reference grading. So, um, how do you think that approach to education lets students be seen and valued and shifts to that strengths perspective? Mm-hmm. Great, great observations. First of all, thanks for tuning in to so many episodes. I really appreciate you doing that. And you're connecting the themes that I see as a host. You can probably hear me say that like, hey, we just had two other people say this as a guest and those central themes. Um, and that's kind of the whole point and the fun of it. Um, you know, where we're heading is here's what I'm fearful of, Dave. Uh, I'm fearful that, you know, people look at tenants of quality grading and assessment practices and say, you know, this is kind of everybody gets a trophy, right? You, you get multiple opportunities and, and you know, you're letting people off the hook. And um, I think Rick Warmly says it best. It's quite the contrary, actually. Um, you and I probably got left off the hook when we didn't do an assignment. We just got a zero or we just moved on. And in fact, it's actually showing that you care a lot about someone that says, no, the same thing you do with your own child and they learn to walk or um, learning to shoot a basketball for the first time is we, we don't let them shoot it one time and then miss and say, well, yeah, you're, you're terrible. No, we, we, we find ways to allow for them to succeed. And this is the same type of rationale 
you know, speaking to uh, the basketball analogy that, you know, when I was a little kid, I loved basketball. And so that was when portable hoops first came out and you could lower the basket and then use a smaller ball. Um, my parents were so upset about that and people would argue and so on and so forth. But what it did for us is it allowed us to a play when it was 20 degrees out and, uh, and still make a basket. And it allowed for us to be successful. And we got to see and breed success. We understood that we weren't going to play high school basketball on seven foot rims um, and uh, shoot with a small ball, but we had fun and we were allowed to be successful. And so in a way we altered our own learning environment to, to make that happen. It wasn't a cop out. You still couldn't travel. You couldn't double dribble. Uh, as a matter of fact, we were skating across ice half the time doing it and, and still dribbling and so forth. So, you know, it's just sort of a silly analogy, but the fact of the matter is when you, st I usually say it to say it out loud test. Like, let's talk this through about competency. You and I both agree that your child should be competent in X, Y, Z, whatever it is, chemistry, first grade reading, whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about what that looks like. And maybe we look at an exemplar or a model, uh, or maybe we even watch them on video and reflect and say, that's a good, this is a great example of what a first grader halfway through the semester should look like. But then when it comes down to parsing that down to a mark or an or some sort of evaluation feedback, that's when it just goes haywire. Um, and then worse yet, you have these electronic grade books that, you know, make it more complicated when it's really supposed to make it less. Um, I don't, I mean, actually we would not need an electronic grade book uh, at all. It's, I mean, it's great for storing grades and backing them up and all that kind of stuff. In terms of actual computation, there's really no need for it at all. Um, but I don't think I answered your question, but I think I kind of danced around it and just sort of giving you a little bit of my vision it's hard to get there, you know, for some people, but I think you do the say it out loud test. And I think you give them real practical examples, excuse me, of what competency is about. And let's just, first of all, let's get real clear about what competency looks like. And most of the time, the parents and the kids, they just don't know what clear, what that clear target looks like. And sometimes we have to co-create that together. You know, Myron Dweck's book about, it just came out this month, um, Smarter Assessment Together. I don't get the title wrong. You can look it up. But he's talking about that, like co-creating the target. Now, again, that sort of sounds like a cop out if you don't really know what you're talking about, which is like, oh, I get it. Yeah, we'll make the target together and then we'll water it down. And that's just not true at all. He's kind of getting to the point. I haven't even fully finished the book yet, but he's sort of getting to the point that, you know, you have to you have to know how to build the house and, and work along building with the house so that so that you can do it again next time. A little bit more independent, a little bit more independent. And so that the feedback you're getting from other people or from yourself isn't wrong uh, or so far off the mark that you spend all this time um, getting getting you know feedback that's not accurate. So, um, you know, philosophically, that's kind of where I'm at and where I'm coming from. I think I think if you do the say it out loud test and you really sit down and look at what an envisionment uh, and I work with PLCs all the time on this very this very thing is at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the unit, at the end of the learning target, at the end of the standard. What does that look like to be proficient? What are they going to be able to know or do? And that's the exact same approach I would take with the students and their parents. And, and let's just talk about that. And nowhere in there do we use percents. Um, I mean, we, you just wouldn't do that. Um, you wouldn't do that if you're saying, I always think about the driver's test. I don't know how it is on the East Coast. Um, but, you know, we don't really take a driver's test to get to drive, or at least I didn't in Iowa. You take a multiple choice test. Mm -hmm. And if you got 16 out of 20, we set you out free with, you know, 100 mile an hour car. 
Um, and worse yet, I'm old enough to have a school permit at 14 years old. And I lived more than three miles from the school. So technically I lived in town, but I lived more than three miles from school. I could drive a car at 14. Wow. Um, I had 14 year olds that can't bring pencils to class. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, it's just amazing to think that, you know, 30 years ago I was doing that, but, and the only thing that got me that ticket was nothing to do with competence, only memorizing the book, memorizing the yield sign and all those kinds of things. All the competence came from sitting along mom and dad, you know, driving, whoa, you know, physically like, go ahead, get out, get out. Let me show you how to back up. You know, so that walk the walk, I can see the model. This is how I do it. And then of course, what happens? Then you ride with someone else that turns 16 and you watch how they drive. And then hopefully along the way, you don't trip up and hurt someone in that particular case. But, you know, it's just crazy, but it's all because of standardization, right? The model standardization, we lag way behind. It's way more efficient to pump people out um, of systems. And we, we kind of get that from our industrial heritage and really from the military to some degree. Um, and not that it wasn't bad or needed at the time, but it's not probably appropriate for some of the things that we're trying to assess today. So it, it sounds to me, and I'm very much the same way that you value being a coach in the classroom. And mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of the way that I talk about it as well is, um, and I've actually used that phrase before is the coach in the classroom, because it's not about memorizing and every student it's not about standardization every student needs something a little bit different and you mm -hmm. need to identify what that is and how best to communicate the steps that they need to take to get there so you know i'm i'm in full agreement with that mm -hmm. so um now you currently work at a school that uses standards reference grading that's correct. I work at a school district. Yep. That philosophically has been doing standards reference grading for about six years. Okay. So how is that received by the parents? What questions do they have? Um, you know, how do you, were you there for the rollout? Do you have no. any? Okay. So, um, you're just seeing the aftermath of the rollout. Um, so I mean, I'm in like beta rollout probably. Um, it's probably in its second life. Um, and what I see is, is that now we just don't have any questions. Now this is the status quo. And I've been working with our staff and our administrators. So that's not what we want either. We definitely want engaged parents. There's the greatest thing about standards or grading based on a standard, whether it's a learning target, a curriculum, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, wherever the grading is rel relevant to, outside of behavior and, and other things, truly around the turning, the, the achievement of the essential, the essential ideas. Um, we just want to be transparent with people. That's how, that's how the world works. That's how you're going to have to be competent when you walk out of our doors. Nobody wants to be held to a standard that they, it's moving or that they don't even know what the target looks like and when it's going to come. That it doesn't happen at work uh, when you have a job. And so I feel pretty passionate about the fact that the greatest thing about it is there is no game. There, there's no, there's some books out there about the game of school and how kids have had to manage it, uh, stay in the game. I can't remember some of the more re recent books, but about narratives of kids. And I always tell people like school's not supposed to be a game of minesweeper, you know, or in first hour, don't ask Mr. Lang about this. He doesn't really like it when you don't do the study guides. And then a second hour, oh, that's okay. So Dave, like one of the best ways 
we used to do this at my old school. One of the best ways to figure out if you're in a minesweeper school is to, I used to, we used to have our student council kiddos meet with our new students. If they moved to our school like mid-year, we'd have one of them go one-to-one and we just let them sit out in the lobby or whatever and say, hey, in just a little bit, they're going to go give you a tour. But what I always loved is I could always overhear their conversation. And if I felt like our culture wasn't in the right way, they talked about Minesweeper. Mm-hmm. Oh, second hour. Okay. When you go to third hour, do not show up late. And then it was just, and it, a lot of it was about grading and it was about assessment and it was about studying and it was about all these kinds of things. My goal was, is to make sure that the next time that conversation happened, it was a little bit, not that we're this sort of like lock, stock and barrel standardizing, like kind of antiseptic environment, but then around the expectations and the clarity, it wasn't a guessing game for kids. They have enough rigor and challenge the way it is. Because you know what? The adults don't like that either. If you don't believe me, just send a, a Friday afternoon email to all your teachers and say, we're going to have a staff meeting at 3.30 in one hour. And don't say what it's about. That is a disaster. You, you should never do that. First of all, you should definitely tell your staff what it's about. Second of all, you should not give them an hour. And third of all, you shouldn't do a Friday afternoon meeting. But nonetheless, we don't would never do that to each other. But we oftentimes will do that to our students. And so I know we're in a healthy environment, learning environment, when you don't have to navigate the nuances of the teacher lottery or the minesweeper effect is kind of what I call it. So um, it was so cool, like as time went on in our school, you know, some cultural shifts that we've made and some different things that it was more about um, some of the positives, like the strengths of, you know, one of the things is when you come to our school, you just have to understand that we use a proficiency scale and it's four, three, two, one in every class and your target's a three. And they're even using the lexicon, right? The kids are talking the talk. Um, and the reason why is because the, the teachers are talking the talk. And then furthermore, the parents are talking the talk. And that's how you know that you've made that transition. So now that I've come in to this district, I, w- I want to like encourage more of that. Um, even though we're six years in, we should be yelling to the skies. Hey, this is exactly how you use a proficiency skill with your junior who's in chemistry. This is exactly how you do it. It's the exact same way we do it with them. That's why I love parent-teacher conferences. It was my favorite time. It was my favorite time. Once I became a teacher of standards reference grading, I loved parent-teacher conferences because I didn't have to come up and conjure up the Texas Instrument explanation. Mm-hmm. I could just switch the proficiency scale around, and I always have my students codify it and highlight it and circle it and check plus or whatever system they wanted to use for got it, don't got it. And when they had a child that came in that wasn't doing very well, I just turned it around because I pulled each kids out and there wasn't any markings on it. And then I had an exemplar with the kid's name off of it. It was all marked up and tattered and all this kind of stuff. And I said, this is what our kids who are doing really, really well are doing as far as self-regulating their own learning. And here's what your kid's doing. So you mean to tell me that they know what they have to know ahead of time? Yeah. So they know exactly what's going to be on the test. Yep. Exactly. And they kind of, they always do the side look at the kid. If the kid's Mm -hmm. there, they always do the side look like, come on, man, really? And so it's never, you know, of course I traditional graded too, Dave. I mean, in my first half of my career. And it was always like, well, I'm flipping around through papers. Let me see here. They have about 45% of their points here. And, um, you know, if they can just do that one thing. And you know what? That one thing, that doesn't tell me one single bit about what they actually can know or do. That one thing, that one worksheet, that one Kleenex box, it, it's that isn't going to do it. But it might, in a calculation in the grade book, take you from 59 to 61. And that's just, I just can't believe that it didn't hit me at the time. Um, I just didn't have 
the background and understanding of best practice. Um, and, uh, and so that's what I'd like to get to, like in the future where we're at now is like to reinvigorate. And, and, you know, I think sometimes probably guilty as charged teachers are like, Hey, I'm not getting bombarded with questions about how I came up with this grade or how this grade came about. Fine. But I'm actually the other way. I'm like, no, because this will actually build a positive relationship with parents that you don't necessarily talk to or know, but it actually puts the onus back on the child, which is what everybody claims to always want. Well, there's no accountability. You know, they don't have to do anything. They can redo things. They can reassess. They can do all these kinds of things. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't say I explain why they're, why they're not a three or a four. I said they have to explain it. They have to look through the, we use proficiency scales, mm-hmm. which I feel very strongly about. However you visualize it um, is great so long as it's clear. And so that's that's where we're working. So I have a question about the proficiency scales because I used when I when I first switched to standards based grading, yeah, I I did um, the four three two one, and mm-hmm. I had students who constantly tried to translate that to a grade or mm-hmm. a percentage. And mm-hmm. granted, I wasn't in a district that was doing this district wide, so sure. I was sometimes the only teacher they ever had that. Um, was doing an alternate assessment. So Mm -hmm. um, when I had the opportunity, uh, we use Canvas as our LMS. So when they did away with, um, you could hide the points from a rubric, I eliminated points altogether and we just use words beginning, developing, proficient, advanced, and expert. And so that eliminated that thought for me. And I want to know, is it different if it's a district wide initiative, as opposed to maybe that's a challenge that I saw with them trying to do that conversion because I was a one-off class. Nope. Nope. That's, that's totally normal. Um, and that's typical and probably a mistake on our district's part is putting numbers, the numericals on there at all, because actually all they are is a representation of an alpha symbol. Um, and so right next to them, we use Marzano's style which I do like because it tends to fit on one page and it's just stylistically uh, an easier template. So for our parents and our kids, they can kind of manage them um, and they're not turning them different ways and <laughs> trying to digitize them in all these different ways. But one thing that we chose to do, well, prior to my time is four, three, two, one, and then next column over, exceptional, proficient, minimally proficient, not yet proficient. So of course, immediately, if you're not well-versed in our system, which most of the parents really aren't, uh, especially if they're new to our district or they just don't really read the literature um, or the communication is they try to do the calculation, right? You're a two out of four. My my kid's a 50%. No, that can't be. He's no, he's been an A student. I, I said, he's not at 50% at all. We don't, we don't use 50%. So in the high school, we use the numericals to, because we average, we have to, uh, to be able to calculate a GPA. Um, but they actually just represent a level a level of our progression and you can do five levels or three levels. Just every time you add a level, it's one step closer to being percents again. So um, the less levels, the better. And we've actually started to use a lot more single point rubrics, um, particularly for formative work and particularly around writing. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I've gone back and forth with a lot of these and I've been doing this for six years now and a lot of it's been trial and error and, what mm-hmm. resonates with the kids and we've gone away from um 
really like the the rubric when we started we had a generic rubric that would be how well they performed in each of our standards now we've since shifted to learning progressions and i love that yeah so we unlock them at different points in the year so it's it's a little bit different than a proficiency scale and it's it, it seems to work and make sense for our students mm -hmm. um you know but along those lines when we talk and i know you're a proponent so if we're talking about grading i know you're a proponent of the mastery transcript mm -hmm. right so um sure. I, I i saw um i'm on the fence about it okay all right and for a few reasons i'm i'm not necessarily opposed to a grade as communication right if we relegate it to just communication then i don't see the harm in at the end of a course communicating things the way parents have typically understood them what we do from september to june to get to that letter you know that's a different story right we shouldn't use that currency of grading throughout Agreed. the course Agreed. of the year but at the end is communication not a problem that mastery transcript you know i think first off as you said there's a lot of parents who don't understand this shift. Mm -hmm. And so I think it at this point might cause more confusion than it solves. And the other thing is there, depending on what skills we're saying they need to master, I'm concerned that higher ed will say, well, you know, problem solving, we know that kids that do well in problem solving, their kids who do well in our school. So we're going to prioritize that over everything else. And mm -hmm. then we've just shifted from GPA to them cherry picking certain right. skills. So yeah. can, can you speak to that a bit? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that I just listened to this, I don't know if you're a Tom Shimmer podcast fan. Um, Tom is a, is a Canadian who's well-versed in a grading and assessment. He just had Tom Gusky on. Uh, on like a bonus episode to talk about standardized testing. And um, it was just a treasure trove of learning. Um, and one of the things that Tom talked about that I just think is so incredibly important around, you know, for example, the ACT. Um, most people don't know that the ACT's goal is to at best have a 50-50 success ratio on every question. Um and if it gets to be where like 70% of students are getting it right and 30 are getting it wrong, they throw it out uh, in the future. You know, they just keep parsing it down so that you can create separation. I mean, that's the whole point is that the ACT would actually create that separation and identify where students are to scholarship or, or, or college readiness or what have you. But that is not at all. It's in fact, the opposite of what we're trying to do in schools, because how you do is irrelevant to everyone else. As a matter of fact, we're trying to shrink the division between each um, level of learning so that hopefully everybody, I actually had a parent say this to me one time. So let me get this right. This is only after like a 30 minute parent teacher conference mm -hmm. um, and probably not reading the handbook uh, on standards reference grading, but they said, let me get this right. You just want everybody to get an A? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I do. Um, I absolutely do. Um, that doesn't mean they get handed out like candy. I mean, it depends on what your child's able to show and, and be able to know or do at some reasonable amount of time. And there are cases semester. But it was really eye-opening to listen to Tom Gusky talk about that because 
I think, you know, this idea of separating people out, there's not a, there's not a finite, I mean, there's not this, the small number of achievement, you know, pr- the goal is proficiency. And I think when you use the words like competency and proficiency, ultimately, this is what we want people to get. I think the hard part for me to navigate still to this day for people and parents, I get it and I accept it, um, is that not everybody's advanced or exceptional. They're not. Um, around a competency, not around a person or a grade or a whole class. It's just the fact that I've always, he's always been an A student. And, uh, you know, when you make those transitions and you have people who have, are really separate, particularly if you separate out um, executive skills and behavior and all that kind of thing, and they no longer can achieve at that level. I mean, how it calculates out on their grade card or whatever. Then it's the school's fault. But we never say anything bad about the bottom side of that, which is all of those social social things that have inhibited people on the other end of the equity spectrum who are actually now showing some demonstration of competency. No, you know, then then it's then it's that's too easy or, um, you know, we shouldn't do that. They don't do anything. Well, my first question is always maybe you're not rigorous enough. Um, so it. The problem is, is that oftentimes those students don't have as many advocates vocally uh, for them. And um, the, it's a tough conversation, you know, for folks to it's it's just not. And, I, and what I say to them is they still can be an A student on every in every class. It's just they've got to show the evidence on towards the learning goal. Um, and we can have a conversation about how to do that and how I can support them in doing that. But uh, it's not a negotiation and you're not going to guilt trip the role is to not guilt trip the teacher because they're not handing this out. I mean, there is some level of objectivity, right. Um, around the learning target. But if we frame the learning targets and goals the same way in our formative practice throughout the unit or the course or whatever, there really shouldn't be, I mean, it's not a surprise or a shock. You're not showing up to a cold assessment that you've never seen before or style or demonstration or lab or whatever. That's yeah, my challenge so- right now. So I teach mainly striving learners. So I, mm-hmm. I teach that population that um, they don't have the advocates, and, and that was one of the reason why one of the reasons why I shifted to this model. It's not that everybody gets an A; it's that everybody has a legitimate pathway to learning and the opportunity mm-hmm. to succeed. You know, so um, yeah, the, the the shift in mindset a lot of people look at education as a competition instead Mm -hmm. of the process that it is. And if one person gets an A, that means that somebody else needs to get an F and that's just not true. Right. Mm -hmm. People still have that flawed bell curve model. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I'm, I'm with you there a hundred percent. So now how do we, get more buy-in like how how's the buy-in from your teachers Mm -hmm. it's really pretty good um it's getting better all the time because of really the transparency and the support um we try to roll up our sleeves as leaders and you know especially me that's one of my number one goals is like to really sit down i've never taught spanish dave uh i've never taught chemistry i've never taught second grade um and really and that's the best part um, that's actually some of the most pushback I've gotten. My current district is like, listen, I can't help you with calculus. I don't know a thing about calculus. I teach, you know, fifth grade math, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's exactly what I need. 
Because if you as a grown professional educator, adult, years of experience, cannot look at this target and decipher what verb level we're at, or am I going to write a free response, or is there going to be an identify or draw? What are we doing here? Then that's going to be a problem for kids. Like you, That's exactly what I need. And so one of the things I really try to work on is to dig in, roll my sleeves up, and literally when I can physically and distance away, get around teacher teams and, and walk that walk with them. Tell me what that's going to look like. Ask tons of questions and bring clarity to the actual act of what students are going to know or do. Like, are you going to orally defend all 31 of these kids six periods a day? Because that's what the outcome, we call them outcomes and components. It's just our curriculum model, but that's what it calls to do. And so tell me if that's how you want this to play out. And they're like, oh, I never really thought about that. Because sometimes when I, we work a lot with verb, right? Verb alignment and alignment to the standard and then instructional alignment, the activities. And it's funny because we'll unpack the standard and look at the way they've written the curriculum and you know, student-friendly language or even not student-friendly language. And we'll have like five verbs in there. They're going to analyze it, explain it, identify. They're going to do all of those things. And I said, whoa, we got to pick one. You know, to what? And so it just became synonymous, right? And we learned that from standardized testing. They're just synonymous because it ends up being multiple choice anyway, mm -hmm. which you really can't do. So every time in most, you know, we use the Iowa core standards, which are, you know, pretty consistent with what, what you might see in a lot of states. And they're high rigor questions typically. So, um, you know, if we're, we're going to be overly rigorous in our, in our, in our curriculum every single day so that, you know, we will be able to answer those questions. If we can write about it, we can answer a multiple choice question about it. If we can orally defend it, we can probably answer a multiple choice question about it. But we, I want to get to the point where we're more frequently, and we have some teachers doing this, Dave, underline the verb, circle the noun. What are we doing? I mean, how would I know as a student to do that? Well, that's the same way I taught your teachers to write them, to write the curriculum. Yeah. Um, and unpack standards. Everything's transparent. We need to make sure that they know. Um, somebody told me a long time ago, I don't know who, the teachers and parents don't read the experts. <laughs> they don't, they don't read, they don't read Bob DeFore's work and, 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 and Marzano and those things. So, you know, we have to, we have to be transparent and clear and then just demonstrate that work and work through it together. Fail forward. Uh, it's okay. And so, uh, and also I think our, a curriculum process that supports, um, that growth, that there's that consistency of rigor and that we know what proficient writing looks like last year. We had, and, and so we have a curriculum process that supports that. It's been disrupted by the pandemic, but you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that again because it's really, really good work. It's how you get away from doing a butterfly project in third grade and again in sixth grade. Um, you know, and, and the kids, what I, one of the things I always say, and I probably have already said it on this podcast is that we got to make sure the adults are communicating so that the kids don't have to uh, about things like that. They shouldn't have to like sheepishly raise their hand from the back of the room. Like, yeah, we already did theme of Huck Finn like two years ago. <laughs> and, and, and they're like, oh, well, you know, so the faults of the, the faults of the adults shouldn't fall into onto the students. That's not their role to do. And, and so there's some leadership there. And, and, you know, the hard part about that is, is onboarding. I think that's one thing with, uh, with grading and assessment work and, and any initiative that you're taking on, it's like being able to secure the same level of steam with those teachers on board and bring in new every year uh, because they're either starting from square one or they're, they're not advocates of, of uh, anything but traditional grading. So we've done a better job, I think personally, 
um, in being transparent in human resources and interviews and things. And we're like, you know, you, it's a, you got to work for, I mean, if it, we, we're all about who we are and if it doesn't work for you, then this isn't the place for you to work. Trust me. Um, we're not going to try to convince you or, you know, win you over. Um, and I think we're doing a good job of that. I think the people that want to work for us want to be a part of that environment. That's great. So what would you say to the parents who ask, um, is this preparing kids for college because they care about college? Are they ready? Um, I I think that's a good question to ask. Um, One thing I know for sure is that when we say that our kids walk out of our halls um, with when we're focusing on competency, we feel pretty darn good about when they walk out of our doors um, and what's on their transcript, they, they could know or do when they walked out of here. When I went to high school, Dave, that, that wasn't true at all. Um, and, you know, I pick on Spanish all the time, but they'll admit it. Most people will admit it uh, or a foreign language. Unless you have a rock star department that's fully integrated, um, you know, you it's almost like a badge of honor. You'll hear people say, well, I took four years of Spanish. And I can't say, speak a lick uh, of it mm-hmm. or, or whatever. I'm like, that's not good. And at that point, that's almost a quarter of your life. Um, and so, um, I feel better that that should be very unlikely to happen in our schools today. And therefore you're better prepared, uh, for college. Absolutely. Um, now we have to do a better job of being able to circle the wagons on some of those non-cognitive and and executive functioning skills where we can actually identify like technology, use, um, digital citizenship. Um, you have to be able to know and do those things that you can't, you can't just email your professor and say that, you know, you're not going to do this. Or, or some of the things that we run into that some of the principals tell me about now and again. Well, I mean, where do you have a model for that? Um, so we got to be more creative and think about some of those skills along the way. And I don't waste any time worrying about things that I can't control. So if it's family upbringing or SES or, you know, whatever their situation is, it's not an excuse um, for why we can't try to meet them where they're at and develop them. And, Frankly, not everybody's going to college. Uh, so we need to think about preparing them for whatever avenue that is and being more generalist I, uh, than specialist and, and finding ways in which we can do that. I've been heavily influenced by uh, David Epstein's book, Range, and um, just just really hit home with me. Um, so if anybody hasn't read that, I highly recommend reading that book. But um it's sort of like the antithesis to the 10,000 hour rule, like of the Tiger Woods and Serena Williams. It's just, and it, even on the back, um, um, Gladwell even says, you know, I think I was wrong. I think, I think that's an exception and not the rule. So, you know, focusing on being more generalist, being more well-rounded, more holistic, um, and then providing evidence for that is, is a good direction forward for us, but we're not there yet. We got a lot of work to do, but around sure. being competent. Yeah. I mean, let me know in a year from now if your child's retaking a class because they didn't know what they were doing in chemistry 101. Um, if we're hearing a lot of feedback like that, which certainly high schools do, um, that's a concern. You know, um, you know, you, when you left here, you were a pretty rocking calculus student. You had been through the highest levels of the math we have. And I don't know exactly all what you did on the college campus, but, you know, around demonstrating competency. And that here's the other thing. Um, Way, maybe we're asking the question differently. Maybe higher ed doesn't assess appropriately. Um, I, I can sure. I can I can give a shout out to um, Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. I'm taking a grad class with them right now. They use standards based grading. 
for graduate students. It's awesome. It's unbelievable. Everything's laid out very, very clear up front. I'm super impressed. Um, and I'm sure there are other universities that, that are starting to adapt as well. Some of it has to do with feasibility and time. Um, I get that. And I can talk about time uh, with a different question too, but I think maybe it's, well, why are we, why do we have to conform upwards? Um, and so there's some, a little bit of concern I have uh, in that, but you know, it's fair. It's fair to consider those concerns. Okay. So I have one final question for you. There are a lot of schools that are experimenting with this, looking to go in this direction. What advice would you have for a school that's trying to scale this and trying to roll this out district wide? Awesome question. Um, number one, you're going to have to go slow to go fast. These are second order changes. And one thing that I always mention to people about any school change that you do is we work in probably the only profession that I know of where almost everyone, unless they were homeschooled, thinks they know what happens in our, inside our walls. They, they, they all think they know. I mean, everybody's been there and done that, right? And whether it was 1967, 77, 87, 02, or last year, uh, which is probably unlikely uh, if they're having kids in school, it, it taints their view. I mean, their glasses are a different color and I don't hold that against them at all. I mean, I, that's just the reality, but there is no other profession that we do that to. I, I, I haven't banked for 40 years, so I don't think to judge my banker. Um, it doesn't even come to mind, but we are just absolutely filled up in, in so many cases positively by all those experiences that we had in our K-12 upbringing. And so we either want to replicate that for our own kids because it's like, it's not broke. Don't, don't mess with that. I know how to operate that world and I can help them navigate that. Or they didn't have a great experience and it becomes sort of like a rite of passage. Listen, you got to have a teacher that lectures all the time. And then the test is something completely different. And I don't agree with that either. Um, so you got to go slow to go fast. Number one, that that's absolutely important. Number two, inside your walls, you have to, I'd say that first thing I would do is just make everybody read 15 fixes for broken grades by Ken O'Connor and just circle one thing you could live with circle two things that you're like, now that I've read that, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not saying you have to do it. I just want you to circle one thing. And then maybe we have some, you know, small groups or we build out as a building in a district and we get to some consensus on some things we can, we can do, or we should do. We absolutely have to do. As a matter of fact, now that I've read it, we can't do anything different. And some people, you just got to get them. To, you're not going to get everybody to agree. But what you got to do is you got to get to a point where you can go, I know you disagree, but can you commit? Can you commit to the change? And then usually we can get to that point, right? And so then it's just that it's just putting in best practices and then doing some continuous loop learning, like double loop learning. Hey, let's bring them back in a month. Let's talk to our teachers in a month. How's that going? What supports do you need? What questions have you ran into? How do we all respond to that question when the kids ask? So this goes back to my comment about daylight, right? The kids are looking to drive any sliver of difference into daylight because that helps them navigate it back to an a place where they knew how to operate, even if they didn't like it. Uh, even if they never turned in homework and that was the only way for them to get a passing grade, um, they'll still try to drive you off your path. So I think you have to start with things that are doable 
that makes sense that are that are really best practiced and you can disagree but maybe commit with all across the board and then it just has to be about information and conversation do we feel like what we do is an act first of all you got to get to the purpose of grades that conversation has to be had what are the purpose of grades in our school district or our school what's the purpose of them is it to communicate only evidence of achievement of what I can know or do? Or does it represent other things? Because it does represent other things, probably in a traditional environment. And you got to like, I mean, we've done it this way a ton of times, which is everybody put a post-it note on just everything that could go into a grade. And we put it up and it's like hundreds of things. There's hundreds of post-it notes over this room. And it's like, so how do I know which one's more important if I'm a kid? I mean, how do I know that I shouldn't just bring in 100 Kleenex boxes if I'm trying to figure that out? And so you, you just walk yourself through this conversation and eventually the say it out loud test, it just doesn't sound right. It doesn't even it doesn't operate right. And the other thing, too, is, is what I've tried to work on is let's not do anything to or with our kids that we wouldn't do to ourselves. You have to be empathetic. And so do not take it as a rite of passage, folks. That's like, well, by golly, I had to get through all of that and they can make it, too. Why? Why? I'm pretty sure the World War II soldiers would not say that to the World War I. <laughs> I'm sure when better technology came along, they embraced it uh, or whatever it is. Um, and so we don't want to do that to our to our kids that we don't need to put them through that. But we do need it. We need to be able to rationale why, why we're doing what we're doing. So I would want to flip everything around and make this is if I were to do it all over again in another district, I would definitely also look at changing some adult practices that emulate what the kids are now getting acclimated to so that it is an emphatic experience. It's happening to me too. For example, I think we should use proficiency skills to evaluate our staff on whatever the domains are with whatever standards you have or whatever. And if we use 4321 for the students, we should use 4321 for the coaches and the teachers and everybody else, our custodians. And, and we should sit down and develop what proficiency looks like first. And then we should develop a progression from there. Then everybody knows, right? It's crystal clear. We agree. We co-created proficiency. And chances are you might have you might say to be a lights out proficient administrative assistant in our front office. I want to be able to know or do these things. And it's more than what I would have we were doing before. But to fully get down that road, that that's something I would want to try to do again is to to change some adult practices that also model what we do with the students. So that you have that empathy. You can say, oh, man, I know how hard it is. Because the flip side is definitely true. Like I shared with you before about the um, after school teacher meeting. Whoa, 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 we would not. We can't be doing that. Well, we do that to our kids all the time. How is this any different? Well, you know, there's never a good answer to that. And so that's not to say that adults are at an equal footing of students. No, they're the professionals and they're an employee and all those kinds of things. I'm not saying that or suggesting that, but I just think that it makes sense. We shouldn't operate in all these little parallel universes of evaluation within our own organization. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, now, I don't know of a district that's doing that, Dave, but um, <laughs> it's in my mind. It's in my head rolling around. I think it's possible. Um, and it's easier to what Dr. Townsley and I talk about, we talk about walk the talk. So I'd say that would be some initial steps and there's much, much more. And it's probably a multi-year process. Mm -hmm. Um, and what's hard about the multi-year process is onboarding never stops. 
So you have people coming in on like phase two, step three, and you got to get them caught up quick. So you got to have people who are great at onboarding. Luckily I do in our current district, just phenomenal people. Our instructional coaches are great and um, just awesome team players and really, really good at doing that, that work. And uh, we're trying to do more of that. Um, I think what I'm going to do in the fall is make sure more of the onboarding supports around grading assessment are offered to everybody. If you want a refresher, if you want to come, be great. And I want to have more kid conversations too. I think we need to have more kid conversations along the way. Hey, so tell me what that looks like when you're looking at a proficiency scale or tell me what that looks like. How do you know that you're getting close? Or when you mark up your proficiency scale and keep track of your learning, why do you choose to use highlight different colors or pluses or minuses? Like just trying to investigate um, their journey along the way. And then one of the things that I haven't mentioned yet that I would like to mention is that in this journey, there's a lot more opportunities to celebrate success because it's more visual, like charting your progress or using some sort of scale of progression to codify it. Or It's visual for you. And there's something tactile about that. We tried to digitize our scales and we do because we post them on the internet and stuff like that. But it's harder to mark them up. Um, and keep track. I don't know. Certain kids are doing a good job with it, but we're, we're trying to figure out ways to do that. But um, I think you can celebrate it. Like I used to have my kids, you know, hey, hold them up. Uh, you know, if they all agreed, we're going to use green to say I got it. Green highlighter. I'd say, hold them up and only show me. Quick glance. That's a lot of green in the room, guys. I'm super impressed. You ready to move on? You know, just those votes of confidence and that we're in this together. It kind of, I think what you said, Dave, earlier is that coaching um, that kind of coaching conversation, but also the opportunity to lift up. It's visual rather than, you know, Hey, everybody turn in your quizzes. I want to see how many people got four or better out of six. Just doesn't have the same ring to it, I guess. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So is there anything else that you would like to touch upon before we wrap this up? I, I appreciate your time and I've had you on here for a while. So oh, I, I, I don't, I, I could do a double session probably. Yeah. I'm pretty right. passionate about this stuff. Um, so it hasn't, no, I, I'm absolutely, uh, yes. To answer your question, yes. There, there's all kinds of things I could talk <laughs> about, um, but I'm not going to uh, in honor of your time, of your listeners' time and of your time. But uh, I'm glad to do it. I don't have all the answers for sure. And uh, I probably have some pretty strong beliefs that maybe pushes some people away. But um, I, I'm just kind of a regurgitator of other super duper smart people that are out there doing great work. And there are, that would be probably one of the thing just to reach out to someone like yourself or Matt Townsend, you know, people that are really blaze those trails and they're not just higher ed types. Um, there, there's a lot of great people out there doing great work. Teachers in the classroom like you, Dave, that are sharing so many great things. Um, Twitter has been really, really great recently. It seems like, um, ATA assessment chat on Tuesday nights, every other Tuesday night, the SBL chat. I mean, there's a lot of good, good quality people sharing tons and tons of resources out there. It's not a pie in the sky type of thing. I, I think there's all kinds of really, really important places in our life that we value competency. And when we, when someone has that degree hanging on, on their wall in their office, that we're pretty darn gl glad that it means what it says. Um, whether it's our doctor's office or our accountant or what have you. Um, in, anywhere, um, you know, I, I, I feel really, really good when my car's broke and I take it to a mechanic and it works like a charm when I take it out of there that they, I'm pretty glad they're competent and they know what they're doing. Uh, cause that could go haywire in a lot of different other ways. So it, we value that. That's the thing as a society is we value that so much. Why would we want to deter people from being more competent? 
um, in those primary stages of their life. It just it doesn't make sense to me. So um, I encourage people to take part in the conversation, to learn more, be open minded, have a growth mindset. Again, follow people like yourself and, and others and ask questions and come up with their own new ways. Um, but I agree with you holistically, you know, overall, we, we probably need to tailor in the narrative a little bit more so that it's more likely to take a grasp and a, and a hold to go forward more broadly. It has all these names and acronyms and, and things. And I think in education, we're guilty of that a lot. Uh, just kind of rebranding things in a different way. And then it just sort of confuses people. And it's not just grading assessment. There's other parts of education, MTSS or intervention, or, you know, it it can go down all kinds of rabbit holes and people are like, Oh yeah, we're kind of talking about the same thing. Okay. Yeah. So, well, I, I, I'm thrilled to be able to have a conversation with you. I've been super impressed with your work. Um, Love listening to you online as well. So thanks for all your, all your sharing and all your hard work that you've done. Well, thank you for those kind words. You're a wealth of knowledge and hopefully we can connect down the road and Indeed. you know, maybe we'll have a follow-up to this one. Sure. Um, so how can people connect with you? Well, the easiest way is on Twitter. Probably it's just at Chad C H A D underscore M capital L A N G Chad underscore M Lang. Um, you can follow the, the podcast at learn underscore W underscore PPL. That's the learning with interesting people podcast, Twitter page. I don't put a lot of stuff out there, but I put some updates on upcoming guests and so forth. And, um, you're welcome to email me, Chad, Michael Lang at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to share with you any thoughts or, you know, resources that I could get you connected up with, but really Twitter is probably the best way. And then we can share knowledge on there. Well, Dr. Chad Lang, thank you very much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you, Dave. All right. Have a great night. Yep. Thanks for listening. I look forward to hearing your feedback. For more resources, visit www.reimagineschools.com or reach out to me on Twitter at David Franjosa. 